Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Well, when you were uh, when you were growing up, how many of you at least one time had your mom or your dad warn you not to hang out with the wrong crowd? Raise your hand. A bunch of you didn't. Is that the problem? With uh, I don't know. You know when. Um, uh, when Allison and I moved to Fort Worth, Texas to enter seminary in 1977, I bet you uh, Shuggy and J.B. Collinsworth were there, and I bet they discovered the same thing. I discovered a new motorcycle gang I was not familiar with. They're called the Banditos. How many of you have ever heard of the Banditos? They carry business cards. They do. They do. They carry business cards, and they have a motto. It's somewhat famous or infamous. And here's what it says on their card. We are the people our parents warned us about. So the, fa- the wrong crowd. You know, sometimes Jesus hung out with the wrong crowd. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Uh, it's the uh, third book in the New Testament. I'm going to give you time to find it. Luke chapter 5. This is a story and an uh, an encounter in the life, in the person, in the teaching of Jesus that was so important that God Himself uh, had three of the four gospel witnesses include this account. Uh, In uh, Mark, the writer of the gospel of Mark included this in Mark chapter 2. Matthew himself, writing sort of his own testimony, included this in the Gospel of Matthew in in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 5 and uh, see why Jesus hung out with the wrong crowd. You follow along. This is God's Word. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, Levi is the one that we later know as Matthew. He's also known as Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him, Jesus, at his home, at his house. Now, There was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them. The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi, Matthew, was a tax collector. He was a Hebrew. He was Jewish. Uh, Yet he was a a tax collector. He was one of those who was enriching himself by oppressing and uh, and abusing and mistreating his own people. Uh, You see, under, under the Roman rule, Palestine was occupied by Rome as part of the Roman Empire at this time in history. Under the Roman rule of Palestine, the chief publican, as the uh, scriptures describe them, that would be the chief tax collector, uh, was generally a Hebrew, generally a Jewish man who had 
purchased by, uh, by bidding the highest bid for the office of publican or tax collector. And he got the right from the Roman government and he farmed the, um, the taxes in his assigned region for his own benefit. Levi belonged to this group. These were some of the most hated people in all of the Jewish world because they were taking advantage of their own people. They, had, they, had, they were considered renegades. They were considered traitors. They had, they had taken service from Rome. And, um, and the system of tax collecting uh, in that day was intentionally designed by the Romans to be open to abuse. Ima- imagine a governmental system being dishonest. Well, anyway, it was, it was in this day, and it was open to abuse. I mean, the Romans, here's what they would do. They would go in to an area like Galilee or a, or a subset of Galilee, and they would assess the tax base there. They would tell the publican, the tax collector, what they expected him to uh, hand over to them in taxes at the end of each year, and that anything else that he could extort and extract from the people in that region went in his pocket. Well, since there was no ability to uh, make public announcements, you know, nobody knew the the legalities of things really, um, he could pretty much charge whatever he wanted to uh, uh, to charge. And so uh, people had really no idea what they were to pay. Now, they did know that there were two types of taxes in this system. There were the stated taxes and then the duties or the tolls. Now, the stated taxes, there were at least three. The first one was a poll tax that, that people paid simply for the privilege of existing in Rome. And um, men ages 14 to 65... And uh, females ages 12 to 65 uh, had to pay this, this tax. And so, oh, you mean when you got 65, you didn't have to pay taxes anymore? Well, nobody lived that long then. They, they pretty much said this was when you're a teenager, you start, it's, it's taxes to the grave, to Rome. And uh, then there was the ground tax, which was one-tenth of all of the grain that a man would produce and one-fifth of all of the wine and olive oil that they would uh, uh, produce. Now, this could be paid in kind, in actual grain and wine and olive oil, or it could be commuted into the value, into money, and it could be paid that way. Then there was an income tax of 1% of uh, every man's annual uh, income. Then there were the duties or the tolls. Everyone paid tolls or duties uh, to use the main roads, to use the harbors, to use the market in a in a town, they paid uh, for a spot in the market. And um, if a man couldn't pay, then the tax collector would lend him the money at a very at a high high rate of interest. See, these guys were also loan sharks. Uh, they um, the people grouped robbers and murderers, and publicans or tax collectors all in the same bucket. All in the same bucket. They were, they, had been, they were thrown out of the synagogues. They were disfellowshipped. 
they were not allowed even to associate with those who uh, worshipped the God uh, of the Bible. This is the man that verse 27 says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, what did he see when he saw him? See, Jesus saw, Jesus saw him just as he is, just as he was, in his heart, internally and externally. He saw, a, he saw a wealthy man, a very wealthy man. He saw a materialistic man. He saw a man who worshipped profit more than people. He saw a man who had sold his soul for the pursuit of wealth. He saw a man who was gaining the whole world but losing his own soul. He saw a man who was hated by his community. He saw a cold and callous man toward his own family and fellow man. He saw a lonely man. And he saw yet a man who was created in the image of God, loved desperately by the God of the Bible. See, he sees us as, he saw him as he really was. He sees you and me as we really are. No matter what we look like on the outside, Jesus knows us. You know, the Bible says that we we may even be deceiving ourselves, that we have the ability to suppress the truth, Romans chapter 1 tells us. Uh, the, the Bible says that our hearts are uh, desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know them? Meaning we can't even know. We are at best a mixed bag of motives to ourselves. But not to Jesus. He knows us. He knows you exactly as you are. He knows I'm me exactly as I exactly as I am. And He calls us to follow Him anyway. He called uh, Levi to follow Him. In verse 27, follow me. He's always been calling people to follow Him. In, in, in Matthew chapter 4, He called Peter and Andrew to follow Him. In Matthew chapter 8, He called a bunch of young disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, He called His 12 disciples. In in Matthew chapter 19, he called a, a young man who was seeking, uh, seeking after eternal life. In Luke chapter 18, he called the rich young ruler. He was a political leader of his community. In John chapter 1, he called Philip the evangelist uh, to come. And he, guess what? He is calling you to follow him. Many of you have already answered the call. Most likely on a Sunday morning at a Baptist church in the deep south, most of the people in the room have already answered the call to, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. But there are many of you here who've not yet done that. You've been, even though you've been stiff-arming Him, no matter your condition, He has been calling, no matter how rotten you think you are or how far from God you think you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how long you've been there, no matter what you've done there, he loves you. You are valuable to Him. He is loved by you. You are loved by us. He is calling you to follow Him. And I'd encourage you to do that uh, this morning. So well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus Himself, a little bit later in the, in the Gospel of Luke, defined that very clearly. Jot down this reference on your note sheet there. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to be, learn of me, if you want to be in my kingdom, if you want to be in my family, if you want to be my disciple, then, then do these three things. He said, you must deny, a man must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now let me give you, entire books have been written on each of these, but let me quickly give you a definition. What does it mean to deny yourself? We are a culture that is obsessed with self-fulfillment. 
And we say, oh, we don't have enough self-esteem. You're not thinking too highly of yourself. But Jesus says, that's what's wrong with you. You think of yourself too often. You think of yourself too much. He says, if you want, if you want life that is really life, deny yourself. To deny ourselves means that we give up ownership of our life to Christ, our life and our eternity. We give up our rights. We give up all of our rights to Jesus. It is if we had a, a deed to ourselves in our hands and that we, spiritually speaking, sit down across a table in front of the Lord Jesus and we sign away the deed to our very life, all that we are and all that we have and all that we ever will be, and give it to Him. He owns us. We give ownership of ourselves to Christ. To, to take up our cross daily means to lay down our lives, to give up our life for Him daily. Now, to take up... How many of you are wearing a cross in some form or fashion today? Either on a T-shirt or a necklace or jewelry. You know, look, at we have... Oh, people come in. Oh, I'm so glad we have that beautiful cross up in our room. Listen, 2,000 years ago when Jesus said this, if we had invited someone to this house of worship, if we could time travel and go back 2,000 years and be in Palestine and we invited the community to come worship with us as we gathered, if they walked in the room and saw that cross with a spotlight on it, they would say, who are these weird people? The cross was an instrument of capital punishment. The only thing the cross was good for was to die on. Horribly. Horribly. It would be as if, if, as if now, when you came next week to Dogwood, we had the electric chair hanging up in the corner with a spotlight on it. It would be as if we had a picture of a firing squad or a guillotine or, or a giant hypodermic lethal injection needle right there. Yeah, that, that would, why don't we do that next week? Because it was a symbol of Death, take up your cross daily didn't mean go to the jewelry store and buy some nice thing to wear. It meant die. When they saw a guy walking out of, out of town with a group of Roman soldiers with a cross on his back, they knew he's not coming back. He's not coming back. And so to follow Jesus means to figuratively, daily, die to ourself and follow Christ. He said it beautifully in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Because of your great mercies, Lord, I submit myself unto you as a... Now here's an oxymoron, a living sacrifice. Wait a minute, sacrifices are dead, right? But this one's living. How can you be a sacrifice and be li living? I, what? It's the same thing as take up your cross daily. I, I am... It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. It means that we, we, we lay down our life daily. That's an act of worship, submission to Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. How many of you played follow the leader ever? At least one time as a kid, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, a bunch of you. What do you do? You, you do what the leader says and you imitate the leader. Jesus says, now from here on out, you lay down your life, you trust, I own you, you follow me, you lay down your life, and then you obey every prompting of my spirit and command of my word. You obey me, not in order to be forgiven, not in order to earn my favor, but out of gratitude for the amazing grace I gave to you while you were still a sinner. Because of your great love for me, 
obey me. And then he blesses our obedience. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to be saved, if you want to be born again, if you want God's gift of eternal life, if you want to go to heaven when you die, if you want to live under the care and supervision of Jesus here and now and know him here and now, if you want to have all your sins forgiven, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. It's actually one big commitment. He's just turning that like a diamond in the, in the light to see all the aspects of what that commitment is. Jesus looked at Levi and said, follow me. I'd do the same thing. Well, the, what do you do when Jesus calls you? The only appropriate response is to leave everything and follow him. The only appropriate response. Look, that's what Levi did. Look at verse 28. So leaving everything behind, that is an amazing statement to me. Leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. You know, I have a special appreciation for Levi because of the the big commitment that he made. He paid such a high price to follow Jesus. Now these others that followed him, these Peter and Andrew, those guys, they were commercial fishermen. They were uh, were, uh, middle class businessmen. And if this whole spiritual venture of following Jesus didn't work out, they could just go back to their boats. But listen, you you did not walk away from the Roman Empire and lay down, hear all the books and the canon. I'm, I'm just not going to collect the taxes anymore. You didn't you didn't lay that down and on a whim and ever expect to return because uh, how can I say this? The Romans held grudges. You, you, he knew. I, he said, "I am." I, he gave up his wealth. He gave up his source of income. He gave up all of his privilege and possessions and position. And he did so gladly to follow Jesus. I've got a sneaking suspicion, if we could trace it back, that it is Matthew who wrote the little chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You leave everything and follow him. And so let me ask you, what has your response been? To Jesus knocking on the door of your heart saying, come and follow me, come and follow me, come and follow me. He's at, he will never give up. He will never stop pursuing you. Most of you said yes. Some of you have been stiff-arming him. Some of you have been suppressing the truth and ignoring him. Listen, the only appropriate response is to leave everything behind. Repent of your sin, give up yourself, come to faith in Christ and receive his gift of abundant and eternal Life, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, for whoever wants to save his life or keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Now, once we become followers of Jesus, Jesus models for us something in this passage that's quite amazing and it's going to disturb your mama. He wants us to hang out with the wrong crowd. For the right reason. For the right reason. Take a look at verse 29. Then, after following, Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now, there was a large crowd of riffraff. That's all the people that would hang out with him. Tax collectors and other sinners who were guests with him. And so Levi gave a big party in honor of the Lord Jesus in his home and invited all of his friends to meet him. Jesus came. Levi had been transformed by Christ and he wanted the people that he cared about to know him. 
and get in on the same good deal. It's a very natural thing when we come to faith in Christ to desire that the people we know and love and like also uh, experience the same Christ that we did. Let me ask you a question. Who do you know? Who do you know? Who needs to have the same experience of forgiveness of sin and being freed from the penalty of sin in their life? Who do you know? Kids, brothers, sisters, family, friends, neighbors, work associates, classmates. Who do you know that needs to experience God's gift of eternal life and have security of their eternity and go to heaven when they die and be freed from the fear of death in the grave? Who do you know? Who do you know that needs some help in how to navigate the, the complexities of everyday living? Who could, who could benefit from living under the care, the provision, and the supervision and guidance and direction and power of Jesus for what they face in their everyday life. Who do you know that needs to know that? Well, do what Levi did. Get involved in their lives. Invite them to meet Jesus. And I'm encouraging you to do it like he did. Some of you here have great gifts of hospitality. Now, my great gift is enjoying your hospitality. But some of you, some of you have great gifts of hospitality. I mean, you, you, it is just so easy for you and natural for you. And you enjoy, you enjoy having guests in your home. You enjoy taking people out to dinner. You enjoy, um, throwing, uh, cooking for people, providing meals for people. Uh, you're very, very good at that. And so, um. This is not by accident. God has wired you up that way. Now, the Scriptures teach that all believers are to practice the discipline of hospitality. It's good for us. You know, some of us aren't really good at it, and we, we need to do it because of what it does in our hearts. But there are those of you that are uniquely gifted by God. Leverage that. Become intentional about that. Be strategic. Uh, be simple. Be simple. Use paper plates and paper cups and plastic spoons and just make a pot of chili and some cornbread. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and have your favorite uh, non-alcoholic Coca-Cola drinks there. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and, and just make it simple. But be strategic. Think about, have a majority of unbelievers there. You know, don't pick the one poor old unbeliever and then load him up with a bunch of wild-eyed Christians. You know, um, be, be smart, be smart, and, and have the majority of unbelievers, and then do what did you do very well. You're always thinking about, you know, I love so-and-so, and I like them. It would, they would really get along. I'd like, to, I'd like to network them. I'd like to connect them. Think about people who would naturally connect, have mostly unbelievers, and then get a few strategically invited believers to your home and then let believers and unbelievers be in close proximity and then let Jesus do His work. See? See? Do that. Do that. That's what, that's what Levi did. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes didn't like this. The Pharisees and the scribes were part of a subset of the Jewish faith uh, there at the, uh, in Palestine 2000 years ago, and they were very conservative. Some would have called them legalistic. Um, they, they tended to um, want to cross every T and dot every I, nothing wrong with that. Jesus didn't do away with a bit of the moral and ethical teaching of the Scripture, but they, um, they were, uh, uh, I don't know, they're hard to get along with. They were just, you know, you might not be inviting them to your party. So um, they grumbled 
They said, I'm not sure Jesus is doing this right. Why are you and your disciples hanging out with the riffraff, eating with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I, I do want to say that the, the scribes and Pharisees do give us a, a little bit of a legitimate warning here. So listen up. There is a little bit of a danger here of hanging out with the wrong crowd. And that is if you are not able... To, re- to keep your spiritual integrity and do so. If you, if you, if you find your, yourself um, tempted and disobeying God, falling into sin and temptation, uh, you're not ready for that. You're not ready for that, so back out. Uh, be Be careful. Uh, we are not to hang out with the wrong crowd as our closest friends. Now, we love them. They're valuable. We're to enjoy them, created in God's image. But these were not the closest friends of Jesus. They, His disciples were. He's not there primarily to look for, I need some fellowship and community. That came within the body of Christ, and it should for you too, whether you're here at college or wherever you are. Um, he did not... Um, He did not do this uh, for that reason. And so we are to build relationships of trust where where people who are not followers of Christ know that we genuinely love them and like them. And also of integrity, that our our walk with Jesus remains intact. It is not compromised and they know it. And they know it. So there's a caution here. Because, I mean, the Scriptures say, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Proverbs 13, 20 says, A companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So there's a caution there. But still Jesus says, Now with that caution, Hang out with the wrong crowd for the right reason. Do it. Do it. Uh, There was another time when Jesus sent out the 70 to minister. And here's what he said. I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. I believe I'd have said at that point, hey, I think I'm going to stay at the house. He said, this is dangerous. But he sent them anyway. He sent them anyway. So, hang out with the wrong crowd for the right reason. And what is that? The right reason is to see them reconciled to to God through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and experience His abundant and eternal life. Jesus replied to them, Why am I doing this? The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi threw a party. You can do the same thing. Do the same thing. You know, there's there's an opportunity for you to draw near to the wrong crowd this week uh, here through our church. In July, we're going to do a series of Sunday morning services and the messages are along the theme that you saw on the sign when you came in the main entrance today that said, Five easy steps to wreck your life. It's going to be a great 
five-week series. It starts next Sunday. And uh, all those folks that you've been praying for this year on your card, you got them, remember? I'm asking you to pray for the people in your life who are far from God and far from church, that they'd come to faith and get and be baptized into meaningful membership in the local congregation. Now, now we're giving you an opportunity to take an action with them. Uh, usually, we print up little invitations and hand them out to you in packets for you to give out to the your friends and neighbors and associates that you're inviting. Remember those? Yeah, we're not going to do that this time. We're experimenting. Our team of uh, Pastor J.B. Collinsworth and Ryan Akins and Jonathan Bailey on our team have been working, and they have created an evite. How many of you have ever either received or or, or delivered an evite to someone? Hey, good, most of you. We're going to do that. Uh, we've created one that you can use all this next week and throughout July to invite people to join you to come to this series. Now, they're going to hear about it. Uh, they're going to receive a, a direct mail piece in the uh, in the mail announcing the series. There's going to be newspaper ads about it. Uh, but basically, that's just kind of carpet bombing. That's just kind of softening up the, the, the community. So when you send your personal evite, uh, they'll know, oh, I got something about uh, Yeah, I know about this. They'll more easily respond to you. So let's try that. I want you to uh, uh, take, out your, take out your smartphone or your pad, and if you don't have those on you, then, then I want you to uh, look in your bulletin. You're going to see some instructions uh, in there. There's a little ad about what, where to, to go to. Let me just give you the, um, the link. If you don't have that there, let me give you the link. So grab a pen, reach into the chair pocket in front of you and get one of these famous Dogwood Church pens that, uh, you know, they're so great. They, as we say, they write underwater, they'll write through butter. They just don't write on your paper sometimes. So, uh, get, get one of, get one of those. And I want you to write down this link. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Here you go. www. Dogwood dot church forward slash evite e v i t e forward slash www dot dogwood dot church forward slash evite forward slash that'll take you right to the evite there. Go ahead and fill in your information, and uh, you'll be ready to. Invite someone. In fact, you can do that in the next few minutes while we're wrapping up this time together, if you'd like. So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask our musicians to come on up quickly. We're going to have some good, serious praying music going on. And I'm going to ask you to turn the place where you're seated into your own personal place of prayer. And let me give you three things to pray for. Let's, let's take whatever posture of prayer you're going to take. And let's pray. First of all, those of you here who have never denied yourself, taken up your cross and followed Jesus, you've never been saved, I want to encourage you to do that very thing from your heart right now. And for the many of you here who are already followers of Jesus, would you be willing to say to Him, Lord, 
would you, te- would you motivate and teach me how? To invite people to meet you. To invite people to these services. Many of you with gifts of hospitality and some who could just practice it. Would you be willing to say, Lord, I'm not quite sure. I've never done this exactly, but I'm willing to throw dinner parties for Jesus. I'm willing to throw Matthew parties. Would you give me the motivation? Would you teach me how? And would you give me the power to do this as a lifestyle? That the people that I know, the people that I love, the people that I like who are far from you might meet you. And would you pray for the people on your list the far from God, far from Jesus, far from church people on your list, that they would respond to the Evite that you're going to send them and that they would attend services with you the Sundays of July here on the Dogwood campus. Take a moment and call their names. So now, Lord Jesus, we thank You for inviting us into this adventure of partnering together with You in the Gospel, serving as ambassadors of Your own, beseeching people to be reconciled to God through faith in You. So give us all open doors to communicate the mystery of the Gospel. May we declare it boldly and clearly and lovingly and gently and effectively as we ought to speak this week. And we give you thanks for these things. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.